listener production. G'day and welcome to That's Enough Already. We all have those niggles in life that shit us to absolute death and we are here today to name and shame them. This week's guest is the master of the tangent and boy, don't we love him for it. It is Ross Noble and he's never had a real job or has he had all of the jobs? He joins us from his comedy bunker on his farm which is adorned with some of the strangest shit like a Christoberg skeleton and several items that he needs to hide from his daughters. Ross is always on tour. No two of his shows are ever the same. Head to rossnoble.com for his dates on whatever you do. Try and be subtle if you see him in the supermarket. More on that later. Dear listeners, Ross Noble. That's quite enough Just shut your mouth I don't give a stuff It shush please Yes I can hear But I don't care That's enough already Shut up Oh shush Welcome to the podcast There's a lot of stuff going on in your background A lot of goodies Is it hard to set up? Did you have to set up a Zoom screen for behind you during COVID? No, no, that's not, that's not set up It does freak people out a little bit though When they see it I love it because I had to set up, I'm so fucking boring. I had to set a room. As soon as COVID hit, I'm like, I have nothing. I had a lamp that I used to put behind me. And then I realized I, I look like my grandmother with this old lamp. And then I started to decorate <laughs> behind. And then, you know, when you go too far and you're like, oh shit, how do I pull it back? But it's already been out there. And it, it was difficult. It's, a lot of people say that this room is basically like the inside of my head. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I've got like... Um, that is from the original Battlefield Earth. That's yeah. uh, one of the original costumes. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there's just just junk that I've collected, you know. The, which but, is, but I love it. I As soon as COVID hit, which, and I loved all the lockdown shit, but as soon as it hit, <laughs> I thought, this is great. This is like so voyeuristic. It flies right into my hand whenever I was on a Zoom call in the beginning, you know, before people figured out how to use the backgrounds and how to set up a background. And then we just have the kitchen in the background. I'd just be, I don't give a fuck what you're saying. I just want to see what goes on behind you. I think it's a thing as well of like when you watch, the politicians do this a lot, you know, where they, they stand in front of the bookcase and they've very carefully curated the books because yeah. they know people are looking at what's behind them and they go, oh, yeah, so that's a thing and that's it. You know, and you can see they've got, and you know that if the camera just just panned slightly to the side, yeah. it would just be all the 50 shades of grey, all of that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, you have to zoom in. We actually had, we got a new leader for the National Party in New Zealand, right? And yeah. he was in his office at home. He was in his office and um, he, his very first interview with media, he had a Make America Great cap in his bookcase. Oh, no. And everyone's like, like New Zealand, is it like it's a little bit off center, left and right. Like there's no far right, you know, like the far yeah, right ones yeah. are sort of 200 guys and we all know their names, you know. So as soon as we saw that cap, the next day they replaced him. We got a new guy. <laughs> oh, that's good. You can get sacked over a hat. Yeah, that's, that's really mental. Yeah. Because you, your your audiences are very involved in your shows, right? Like you, I feel like you and I have a lot of similarities or a lot of things that sort of we have parallel lives, but you're going one direction and I'm going the other. I 100% do not engage with the audience and I tell them that too. I go, don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. It's a group event. I know how the show goes. Don't worry about it. Whereas you encourage it. <laughs> I mean, there's a fine line. I mean, I'll talk to the audience, but I'm really sort of, uh, not, not strict, but I, I, I want to get across to people that if I'm talking to you in an audience, I'm not ripping the piss out of anyone. If you come yeah. to one of my shows, 
anyone that gets, they become part of the show yeah. and they're to be celebrated. And I don't like, I don't pick on people. And it really annoys me when people go, stop picking on me. And you go, I've literally said, you've turned up, you've got a nice hat on and I can get 15 minutes just talking about hats. It's just a jumping off. And people are like, stop picking on me. He's got, I said, I like your hat. Yeah. So it's all positive and it's all about kind of creating a community vibe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, but then sometimes uh, when people try and disrupt it for others, you know, if you get somebody that's like a crap heckler, then sometimes it's nice to have permission to just tear people apart, but only if they're a dick first, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I like it. It's sort of, um, you know, because you sort of, when you're in your own head, then you're sort of, when you're sort of on transmit, I like the fact that, you get sort of outside stimulus and that fires things that I wouldn't necessarily talk about otherwise. So, but I'm not, you know, I haven't got, I'm not one of these people that goes, oh, if you don't talk to the audience, that's like, you know, Billy Connolly famously, like I saw Billy Connolly and somebody heckled him and he literally just turned around and went, shut the fuck up. When the light's on, it's my turn. I'm not interested. And it was like, and the audience were like, Oh, okay. I I thought we were, you know, yeah. and it was really funny just seeing him being so like, so friendly and so, you know, so, so, you know, we're all there to laugh. Don't yeah. even fucking think about it. Yeah. It's when, it's when your mum, you know, sort of you had a party or a wedding and everyone's having a good time and you sort of step out of line and your mum's still smiling to everyone and then turns to you and go, you little fuck, do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Okay, mum, chill yeah. out. You know, I... Because I start off, I go, I don't pick on my audience because I feel they come to see the show, not be the show. And that's sort of my thing. And I started that because when I got into comedy, I'd never been to a comedy show. It wasn't even a thing. Like I started in my mid-30s because my mum, when she was in her 20s, went to a comedy show, was picked on, and then just never went back ever. She'd been to that one, got picked on. And I don't Ah, even think she was really picked on. I think it was like how you say so the guy said something about her glasses and I think he used that as a stepping and she just flipped out and, and so that was never a thing, you know. We never got introduced to comedy. So, right. But now, like I go to shows and if I, I'll say to someone, like I, I start off and go, I don't pick on my audience. It's a group thing. I'll ask you to make noise or something or I'll ask a general question, but I won't specifically talk to any one of you. But sometimes I'll say to someone, hello. And then afterwards I go, I thought you said you wouldn't pick on people. I'm like, how fucking sensitive are you? Yeah. Then I say hello and you're like, why are you picking on me? I'm like, chill the but fuck that, out. The idea that if you're talking to somebody that you're instantly picking on, it's, it's yeah. But look, it's one of those things where for years and years and years, there's been, you know, hat comics coming on stage and just ripping audiences as a part, you know. And uh, But yeah, you want people to feel, certainly at my... I'm the opposite. I want the audience to be the show. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I to feel like it's, you know, it's happening there for them on that night. And, you know, and at the end of the night, they walk away and, you know, they go, oh, that was, that was brilliant. Oh, I was, you know, I was part of it. But especially because my stuff always goes off in a bit of a, it's daft, you know, so it's not, it's not aggressive. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. but... No, I mean, I love that kind of... That's all, uh, I love your stuff. I love Jason Byrne's stuff because I like that that silly involved, you know, sort of... Because you can see the whole crowd becomes like they're at this event together and they you, you definitely get the vibe that they're in this together, yeah. you know, when yeah. they're at your shows. And I, I love it. I love that 
vibe where if one person, it's almost like they go, Who, who's going to be next? You know, that kind of thing. But, and I really like it. If you're doing stuff that, it's a lazy term, but it's like surreal or whatever. If you just go, if you just walk on and go, right, I'm going to talk about dancing zebras. It's one of those things where it can look a bit contrived. But if you're talking to somebody specifically in the room and they, you know, say they're a forklift truck driver or whatever, you sort of like, when you start with forklift trucks and by the time you end up, you know, you go further to, and it gets more and more ridiculous. People know where you've started yeah. and they know that it's like, it started in the room and then you create this world and then people kind of, uh, people go, oh yeah, right. So th- it's grounded in reality. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you just walk on and just go, Bleh, and you jump straight to the weird place, then it can look a bit contrived as well. So that's that's the advantage of it. It's like people can see the working out, you know? Yeah. And actually, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody could literally just say, somebody could say literally one word and then I'll go off for 10 minutes. So it's not about, you know, stop making it about you. <laughs> You're doing this. <laughs> Hi, how many, how long have you, you've done comedy for like 30, 30 odd years? Yeah, well, that's the mad thing. Yeah, my my eldest daughter's thirteen now, yeah. and uh, and I yeah, I look at her and just think, how would I feel if in two years' time? Yeah, I started when I was fifteen. If in two years' time my daughter turned around and went, oh, I'm going to go to comedy clubs every night and uh, make drunk people laugh. Yeah. So yeah, I'm forty five in uh, June. No, I'm forty six in June. So yeah, what's yeah, we're the same. We're the same age. <laughs> There we go. And like yeah. with the same vintage. That's what I said. Like yeah. we're sort of on the same path. We're sort of parallel, same yeah. time, but different. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought, like I read how you started and I just thought, I know you would have told this story a million times, but if you could share with people how you started, I just think it's yeah. amazing. So I was crap at school. I'm dyslexic, but I was good at, I was a good performer. I was a good, well, I was a good talker. So I taught myself to juggle and I became a, I used to do like street shows, like busking, you know. Yeah. And then uh, I would do it at the weekends. I would go off and uh, I would do a street show, pass the hat around, make a load of money. And I just went, well, I've got a job now. And my plan was I was going to do that. I was basically going to do I was going to leave school and I was just going to travel the world doing street shows. And I, I was looking at I was going to make more money doing this than I can from... You know, if you make 500 quid in a day, you sort of like, you've got to work a few days and you're, you're set up, you know? Yeah. So, and then I won some tickets to see a comedy show and when I was 14, because I used to ring into the local radio station and because uh, no one ever rang in. It was all old ladies listening in the <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. So like, I used to ring in. I would win all the time. I was getting all these like, uh, you know, VHS, you know, tapes and uh, T-shirts and stuff. And then um, I won tickets to see a comedy show. I was 14 and I said to my dad, I went, I've won these tickets. I didn't tell them how old I was. You'll have to take me because I'm only 14. And we went along and I watched that show and I just went, that, I, that, I went, that's what I should be doing. And um, so then I went to my local comedy club and did five minutes and I wasn't old enough to be in there. So they had to, because of the licensing, so, you know, I say licensing laws, but it's kind of child labor laws, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I went on and I did the show and you could only, because they were having a problem with the licensing people, you could only do entertainment if you serve food. So when you walked in, you'd hand over your ticket and they would give you a, 
plate, uh, like a paper plate, and they'd scoop some chili con carne onto the plate. <laughs> no, I don't want that. And I, oh, you have to take it. But legally, we have to serve you. Food. You'd think a sausage roll would be the way to go. Yeah, but I think they were, but the cost of the sausage rolls, is, you know, per person, whereas cheap meat that was yeah. straight out the back of a van. Oh, my God. And then, uh, so people would get this food and then they'd just chuck it on the floor. they just like throw it, you know, to discard it. So when I walked to the stage, my first ever gig, I walked to the stage and I remember just looking down and seeing just meat smeared all <laughs> over the floor. And I thought, I'm in showbiz now. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I did that. And then I was, that was, and then that was my job. You know, I sort of, and somebody came up to me after that gig and went, come and do my gig. And then I went and did that gig and I got another gig from that. And within about, I don't know, probably within about two or three months, I was earning enough to not need to, uh, to be in education anymore. So I left school and off I went. And then, and then that was 31 years ago. And uh, yeah. Still banging it out. And that's all you've done. Like, I say all you've done because <laughs> when people <laughs> say, when people say, oh, you, you, so you just do comedy, even today, like my father-in-law would go, so you're just doing this comedy thing. And I'm like, there's so much in there. Like, you know, you've, you've done fucking everything, writing and TV <laughs> and radio and, and, and stage stuff that it is about 30 jobs within one. But I mean, you haven't, have you worked retail? Have you done any of that stuff? No, I've never had. I did, uh, I spent three years in a department store uh, one Christmas where I was uh, selling juggling kits. Oh, yeah. You know, like on the gift sections and it's like yeah. learn to juggle. So I did that. And then I once, um, I handed out flyers. On I was on stilts, dressed as Uncle Sam, handing out flyers for an um, American themed diet but it's, they're all entertainment I was either yeah. on stilts or but no I've never had I've never had a job I've never worked in a restaurant in fact what was quite funny I, so I did the Celebrity Apprentice last year yeah. which was um, so I've never had a point where I've had any time like I've always just been booked up solid and that was the first time in my entire life where I had like more than like three weeks where I could go, right, okay, I'm gonna, I can do this. So I, so every theater in the world was closed. So I agreed to do the celebrity <laughs> friends. So, and then that was a bit weird in itself because that was, I didn't really think about this, but because that show is like supposed to be like a business show, you know, there was one where we were, it was like we had to run a Chinese restaurant and then, you know, the stuff where we were selling stuff. And I realized that like, I've never been a waiter because I've never had an actual job. It was things like I had to learn how to operate like an FPOS machine because yeah. I've never turned to a customer and gone, could you swipe your cut? So things like that was like, you know, I, I, I felt like, like little Lord Fauntleroy going, oh, is this, is this what people do? <laughs> oh, and then, you know, and then now like my wife just takes the piss out of me because she's like, uh, you know, and people just go, oh, have you, you, so have you ever had a job? And I'll go, well, I worked in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> like, you liar. You spent a day. That's and you still were being, working. You were being filmed on telly. So that's not a job, you absolute arsehole. <laughs> yeah, but that, that would have been, like, if you had robbed a place on television, they would still call you a thief, right? Well, for the final, that's what I did. 
I set up a I set up a fake bank robbery. Yeah. They said, How are you gonna how are you gonna earn the money? And I said, Well, I'm gonna rob a bank. So I set up a bank robbery with stunt drivers, like getaway cars, explosions. So uh yeah, so I, in many ways that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I would still give you the work in the Chinese show. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's, that's it like counts. I spent a day as a waiter in a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. But then if you do a film, so like if you if you do a film and you do research for that film, does that count? You know, like is, you know how Daniel Day-Lewis became a, a shoemaker? Yeah. Does that mean he's worked as a shoemaker or is, is that, you know what I mean? I, I'd say it's, okay, so everything, I always think you sort of, I, I flick it back to, if I do something and they go, well, it doesn't really count. You only did it for a short while. I go, if I was like really into anal for a day, no one would let me forget that. They go, you're really into anal. I go, yeah, but I don't right. do it all the time. It was only that once. I go, you're still into anal. I go, so then I have worked in a Chinese <laughs> shop. <laughs> I mean, look, to be honest with you, anal for a day sounds like uh, the best new TV show on Channel 7 you could <laughs> possibly imagine. You know what I mean? Like dreams Isn't come that true. Q and I? <laughs> like, and now it's time. It's eight o'clock. It's time for anal for a day. Yeah. You'd be mass. You'd be very disappointed if you tuned in and it was just people just with OCD. Just <laughs> imagine that. If you bought a porn film, can you still buy porn films? Yeah, on DVD. You I don't know. I'm, I'm already in my mind thinking I have to go back with your intro and explain what a VHS is to the people listening. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine that. It's like. Literally, if you bought a, yeah, there's something in that, isn't there? The fact yeah. that you, you just go, oh, this is a DVD and it's called Aisle for a Day. And it's just somebody lining up their, lining up all their ornaments. And you yeah, go, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but, but can't <laughs> but, stop watching it either. So how long have you been, you've been going, what, 10 years now, 15? How long? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, 11 years, 12 years. Right, okay. And yeah. do you find, because it's all I've ever done, yeah. the lifestyle and all the stuff that comes with it is having come to it later, yeah. do you find all the stuff that goes along with being a touring comedian, does that still mess with your head? Or yeah. are you, or, or did you just click into it and go, this is the life for me. I mean, I sort of had that moment that you had where you go, this is it. You know, sort of the first time I did comedy, I'm like, I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is it. I found it. It clicked for me. But, you know, in my 30s. But before that, I worked as a designer and a photo retoucher. And then when, I, when all the traveling started happening, and especially when I became a little bit famous, I'm still blown away. I'm still amazed when I get somewhere and, and people you know, uh, treat me away or every night when I walk out on stage and the the room is full of people, I'm like, how did you guys get here? How do you know about right. me? Like, I'm still <laughs> blown away by it, you know, or when what? someone's nice to me because I'm famous or when someone's a bitch to me because I'm famous. It's the same thing. I'm like, and I forget. Sometimes I'm in the mall with the kids and someone will stare and I'm like, you're looking at us. And I'll sort of check yeah, that yeah. the kids are all right, shoes on, I've got shoes on, I don't know what's happening. And then I realize, oh shit, okay, now I get it. This is one of my favorite things in the world, right? It's when you're in the supermarket and you see somebody on the next checkout and they'll turn around and they'll and they'll go on. <laughs> and they always put their hand up like this. Yeah, yeah. They'd be, they're far enough away that they could go, 
look at on the next check. They could just do that, but they put their hand up over so you know. And then they clearly have said, don't look now. And they do this thing. And it's it like, it's incredible that this, this would just, don't look now. And then the people will turn around like slowly and look at the roof. And nobody has, think about like, in your head, think about the roof of a supermarket. Yeah. You can't picture it because you've never looked at it. Nobody has ever looked at the suit. Do they have <laughs> do they have low hanging lights? Does it go all the way to the ceiling? Is there a ceiling? Nobody has ever looked at the roof of a supermarket. So they turn around and they look up like that. And then you know that the next place they're going to look, which nobody ever does. Nobody ever looks from the ceiling straight to somebody else, right? And you know that the eyes are going to come around like that. So what I do, and it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing to do, but it makes me laugh so much, is the second that I see them look at the ceiling, I lock my eyes on the back of their head and I like properly stare. <laughs> and the fact that they think they're being, they think that you have no idea what's going on and the eyes start to come down and they just glance across and then I like, I'm staring directly at them and then they panic because they think, oh shit, he just happened to be looking at the back of my head when I looked down. And then they'll go, oh, well, he must have looked away now. And they look again, <laughs> but I'm still staring like that. And then they go bright red. And, uh, and, they, and they still don't realise that I've clocked what's going on. It's, oh, it's a joy. It's, it's an absolute it's, joy. Definitely. It's like a sixth sense. I know when people recognise me, when they try and play it as cool as possible, they can walk past. It's like their neck goes really stiff. And they're locking their heads and they go like a cartoon character. And then they always circle back. There's always like, <laughs> I, and like I could be in the supermarket and then I clock them. I see they've seen me and then they come back and now they're behind me. And now they come back again. And then I always call, I always go, hello. And I was at a paint shop one and this lady, I could tell she was eyeballing me the whole time. She would have been in her 60s. And um, eventually she sort of worked her way to where I was. Now, when you go into the paint shop, there's the wallpaper section and there's the paint section. And you're either looking for one or the other. It's very rare yeah. to go in for the whole, you know, lot. So I'm in the paint, she's in the wallpaper section, and then she sort of slowly starts working her way towards me. And she gets next to me and she goes, where do I know you from? And I just look at her, because now I know I've had time to clock her and I know her husband's over on the other side. And I go, we went to school together. She goes, you didn't? I go, yeah, we went to school together. And then her husband comes up and he goes, hello. But he, I knew, he knew who I was because he's oh, smiley. Right. And um, she goes, she says we went to school together. So they were obviously in school together. And he goes, really? And he's just smiling. Uh, and I go, yeah, I remember you well. You were the whore in our class. And then uh, I start uh, laughing. And he's just going with me. And she's like, no one wants that. I was, I, I've only ever been with him. And all of a sudden I've got this woman's sexual history. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, I'm shagging that bloke over there. And then points at the husband. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I've been having an affair with him. Yeah, you saw, yeah, me, you saw really. me sneaking out the top window last week. Yeah, we made we made a VHS anal all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All day long. So I, I thought me thought me cups were nicely arranged. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, uh you've you've won like heaps of awards. You've been nominated for heaps of shit. And and 
you know, not just comedy, like stage and theatre and all this stuff. How important is that? Like, do you write awards? Do you like them? Do you like getting them? Uh, it's not, well, it's nice. You can't, you can't pretend it's, uh, yeah. Depends on the award, really. There's some awards that you look at and you go, oh, I'd quite like that for my shelf, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like it helped me. You know, like a nice, a nice thing, you know. Yeah. You know what it is? It's it's one of those things where I think awards are good in a sense that it's the same as good reviews It's or, or, or like your projects making money or whatever. If it's a thing that opens a door and allows yeah. you to do the thing that you want to do, yeah. then it's really good. But I'm not, I'm not bothered at all. Uh, you know, it's like entering a competition that you didn't ask to be part of. You yeah. Know? And I'm, and I'm exactly the same with like, uh, if you sell out a show, that's great. But if it means that the next time you do a show, the people go, oh, we couldn't get in to see that show. It's not about saying I had a sellout show. It's about knowing the fact that you can do it again and you can yeah. keep doing it. You know, for me, it's about doing the thing. Rather than having done the thing, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of the same. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, and I'm always flattered to get one. Um, and I'm happy if it opens doors for me. But the thing that bothers me is there's so many awards that I think young comics starting out put so much weight on, and if then if they don't get it, or if they don't get an award within the first five years, then they don't want to do comedy anymore. And I'm like, there's right. a fuck ton of people like. I always think whatever awards we have in New Zealand or in Australia, ask yourself, did Jerry Seinfeld or, you know, Eddie Murphy won, win this award? No, they don't know what yeah. this is. And they're still caning it. So I think people put too much weight on the actual awards and stuff. But, I mean, I do, but, love, but, I do but, love getting them, but you're never going to see them in the background. But then again, uh, you, you also look at it and you go, but, you know, Jerry Seinfeld did win a shitload of Emmys. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so, <laughs> has he know. ever sold out the Athenaeum on a Tuesday night? I don't think so. That's, I mean, he probably could. True. Probably could. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think that's that's the other thing, you know. Again, it makes me sound really, uh, you know, like a right old bastard. But like when I started, it wasn't really... People weren't doing stand-up, you know, like now, you know, there's the arenas and there's the, you know, the big tours and the all, all of the stuff that sort of people get, you know, now, especially in the UK, people get into doing stand-up because they can see this, like, this sort of insane glittering career path, you know, whereas, you know, in the early 90s, even just seeing you wanted to be a comedian was, you know, the, it was still all the remnants of the kind of worker men's clubs and the old mainstream stuff. It was such a weird thing to, you know, the biggest comedians in Britain were people who, you know, were people like Billy Connolly and Jack D and guys who literally just sold out big theatres. And that was the height of it. You know, obviously there was telly and all the rest of it, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't that thing of going, oh, if I got into this, then I could get a Disney movie and I could do a thing and it could, you know, and then I'll play all these arenas and stuff. And I think people got into it far more, not even just, you know, just going, oh, this will be a laugh, you know? This will be a fun thing to do. Rather, this will be a big career, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also because now Netflix is huge, that's sort of everyone's trying to get into a Netflix special. Um, and it's almost like back in the day, like even 10 years when I started, like you just work 
pubs and clubs and that stuff. And then uh, everyone would just go, who books it? Who books it? Like we used to tease each other. And now if you get on Netflix, everyone's like, who, who, who can I call? Like who books it? And I'm like, honestly, I'm on Netflix and I still don't fucking know how, how that happened. Yeah. Um, Let me quickly ask you, what is the thing that shits you the most about other people that irritates you the most? (laughs) (laughs) I don't like people, like if I'm in the car, I don't like people tapping along. I don't like people tapping. Oh, yeah. I don't don't like people whistling. If you're going to sing along to the song, you can sing along, but you better commit to it. I don't want somebody going... Oh, yeah. You got it. Bang. I want you banging it out or not at all. And my family to the point where it actually does something, like it physically does something to me where if I'm going away, if they're dropping me off at the airport, they'll drop me off and they'll be all sad. And then one of the kids will usually turn to my wife and go, still, we can all tap along to the song. So as they're driving back home, they all tap along and do that. <laughs> and hum- uh, humming, whistling, doing the lot when I'm not there. And then um, and then the other one is people on mobile phones without headphones. Oh. That does my head in. It's mainly phone-based for me. Uh, on the mobile phone, listening to music without headphones I don't agree with capital punishment, but that should yeah. be a hanging I, offence. I reckon you should, if you do that, they should put you in a cage like in town square and we can all just go past and spit on you if we like or chuck shit at yeah. you. All the stuff they tell you at the zoo not to do, we can do to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very, much. Very and what, much. And what's the thing about you that shits you, that you wish you could stop? Well, it's tricky because what works for me on stage Basically, I've turned my disability into a job, you know? Yeah. So, like, I, um, I'll i drift off in the middle of a, you know, I'll be in the middle of a sentence and I'll just kind of stop and then I'll think, I'll think of something and then I kind of go and that drives my wife up the wall because I literally, I'll be talking away and then I'll just sort of stop. And, in fact, my tour manager says that it's like I've gone into screensaver mode. I'll just, and he'll actually say to me, go... Uh, you've gone, you've got, and, and I sort of come back and I go, sorry, and then I carry on. Yeah. But it's fine in this context or on stage because, you know, you sort of push, but I'll just drift off. And I think that, that, but then at the same time, I think that's kind of the part of my brain that's the thing that people pay money to see. So yeah. I'm, so I'm sort of fine with that. Yeah. Um, My big one with other people though as well is the, um, you know, the carousel at the airport. Oh, yes. I think it's just about being aware of other people. It's people who are just kind of a bit selfish. Like if everyone stands behind the line or just stands far enough away, we can all see our bags coming off. Whereas people who just step in there, they're blocking the view. So then everyone's there and then you're all up against the thing. Yeah, it only takes one guy Yeah, to stand there close. And even, even if you see your bag coming... Don't step in until right at the very last minute because the bag's not going to get there any quicker. Yeah. You don't have to be ready. It's the whole thing's not going to speed up. It's not going to get two meters away and then go to like 10 times the speed and then whoosh, like that. Oh, I've missed it again. Nobody's (laughs) fucking with the speed switch on it. So just sit back, wait until the back. In fact, if you wait until your bag goes past you, instead of waiting and picking it up as it's coming towards you, let it go past you 
all you have to do is get a hold of the handle. Yeah. And instead of having to lift it off, it'll naturally, like you stop it and it, it'll come up rather than trying to work against it. It drives me up the fucking wall. Yeah. See, but that's what I say. That's part of people being unnecessary. If you just stick to the basics and the guidelines that's there, like it's fucking spelled out. What do you think? Some fuckhead went and painted a line there because yeah. they figured out years ago that it makes it easier. And it's also, they stand behind the line. I also have a massive problem with any sort of authority. So if I see a sign that says, don't do this, that's part of me that goes, fuck you. I'm not going to do You are your own um, enemy here. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but if there's other people there, there was a brilliant. So I was in, um, I was in South Africa, Robben Island, you yeah. know, where, uh, where old Mandela was, uh, was banged up, you know, and there was a load of, I'd had a look around and I thought, I'll go and sit in the sunshine, wait for the boat. So I got there about sort of 15 minutes before the boat was due. And there was all of those. You know those like uh, bollard things that you get like in the bank or some at the airport where you queue up and go up and yeah. down like that. So there was loads of them. So I got them and I started setting them up, <laughs> but I set them up all zigzag and then I had them coming back around on themselves and then I opened them up into a funnel and all the people coming back for the boat, they all just followed this thing <laughs> and it got ridiculous to the point where people were spiraling Go back to where they started, zigzagging through like L shapes all the way around. This insane, and every single person followed it and then queued up in this weird queue. And it wasn't until the people were getting on the boat that all the boat guys are going, Why are you all standing in this? <laughs> and it just made me happy. See, know? now, as the tourism ambassador for South Africa, I'm going to ask you not to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of That's Enough Already, hosted by me, Ursula Carlson, and produced by the young and effervescent James Blake. The supervising producer was Nick McClure, and special thanks to Ella Leav and Beck Sutherland, who are both currently getting pedicures. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe and share with a friend. Listener.